This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com start. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we bring you interviews with working actors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance and fitness gurus, voiceover artists, and more. Are there more? That's such a long list. I know. All of there, them, there are more. There are more. All of them serving up insider tips on marketing yourself, creating your own work, and booking the gig. It's knowledge bombs for everyone, straight from the people who've been there, done that, and are doing it again. We're two dudes who started this thing because we were looking for the answers, not necessarily because we believed we had all of them. Uh, and we were kind of sick and tired of being told by various peoples that we had to pay for it. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's not. So we <laughs> made this thing and we made it free and put it out there on the internet for your listening pleasure. And while all success stories are built on a common foundation, we don't believe there's any one right way to do anything. So uh, kind of in that spirit, if you hear something in this episode with which you agree or disagree, we would love to hear from you either way. Just send us an email, shoot us a tweet, comment on our website, leave us a voicemail. All that stuff goes to the same place, which is us. And you can find out all the different ways you can get your voice on the show by starting at our website, which is InsideActingPodcast.com. And we've got a couple of those emails on this very episode, as well as a bit later in today's episode, we have part one of Trev's chat with filmmaking team David Hamilton and Brina Kelly. So stick around for that. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 176, the first official episode of 2015 and the first official episode of season 6 of this little thing we call Inside Acting. What's going on, AJ? Trevor and I have talked many times about uh, chunking down the the podcast into smaller, uh, not segments, but uh, what would you call it? Episode uh, collections, um, so to speak? Episode yeah, collections? Yeah, I guess, I guess like batches maybe. Or yeah. I think a good word to kind of cover everything is just to increase the digestibility of the, of the show. Yes, make it easier to digest because it is a knowledge bomb buffet. We want everyone to... <laughs> I had to bring back the, the, the analogy. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't want to bring heartburn to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, what would that be? Earburn? I don't know what that is. Um, <clears throat> so we, we we talked about possibly making like year long seasons, but then Trevor had this brilliant idea to actually chunk it down into quarters, um, so that we could actually do quarterly reviews, similar to our yearly reviews, although not as um, extensive. Um, in a way to not only support us with the podcast, support us with our own careers, but hopefully support our listeners with their careers and their journey as well. Does yeah. that make sense? 
Did yeah, I, yeah. Break that down, okay? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's exactly it. You know, like so so essentially, uh, this year 2015 will have four seasons, and they'll each be about 90 days long, and then we'll take the final episode of each season and do a little quarterly review, not only to kind of keep ourselves on on task, but also to you know encourage the community to just check in every every so often just to see how things are going because I, I think it's really easy for us to as creatives to get you know kind of you know maybe i'm speaking for myself here but i've seen it around uh to get a little wishy-washy and a little caught up in the sort of all the billions of things that we we get to do uh to kind of keep ourselves afloat and you know sometimes we lose sight of what we've declared or what our goals are or we lose track of of the tracking of the goals and so um i think it'll be it'll be good for everybody to kind of um, do that. And, and also just to take a look at a, a season and only see like 12 or 13 episodes instead of, you know, 50. Ah, I think it's just yes. easier to kind of put your, wrap your head around and say, okay, I can, I can handle that. Dude, how's it been going? I, I, I'm so excited, uh, to hear about your experience. Uh, I mean, you, you sort of tweeted about it and Facebooked about it. Okay, so I, I booked a, a small <coughs> co-star role on Bones. Woohoo! And, uh, it's the it's the third or fourth time I've been into that office, so it was nice to to book it. And you know, as far as co-star roles go, and I'm I'm, I'm not minimizing this; I'm just being factual. It's it's like as small as a co-star role could be. But the good news is, is that uh, I've got my character's got a name, and I'm getting the co-star pay. So I'm getting uh, you know a nice chunk of change for showing up for the day. Um, I'm getting a nice IMDb credit and a resume credit with a named character, and um, and it was fun. You know, it was it was really easy. I barely did anything because I, you know, if you watch the episode, which will be out sometime in March, I know the exact date because I hacked it, but uh, I can't share that, unfortunately. Huh. But um, well, at least not yet. I will soon. But uh, it's you know, blink and you'll miss me. It's it's a very small thing, but um, essentially, uh, you know, in these shows, you know, so they find a dead body at the beginning and then they spend, spend the rest of the episode figuring out who, who did it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm the dead body, except they find the dead body in pieces. So there's not much of me in the actual episode, aside from like a photo and some facial reconstruction. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. But it's, it's trippy, man. Uh, I had a fun little moment with David Boreanaz. So, you know, he, he's a nice guy. And growing up, you know, I grew up in Philly. And the story was, as I was kind of in high school and growing up in Philly, is that David was from Philly, too. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, David, David Boreanaz grew up in Philly. He's a Philly guy. This is back when Angel was a really big deal on TV and I was in high school. I hope that doesn't date me too much. But <laughs> there was this Dairy Queen in our hometown. And the story was that David Boreanaz's dad, uh, who's, who was everybody thought Gary Papa, who was the, the sports guy or the weather guy or something on the action news team, Channel 6, that, hit, that that guy owned the Dairy Queen. So my friend Colleen worked at the Dairy Queen and she was like, oh yeah, David Boreanaz's dad owns this place. He comes in and, and that was the thing. And, and so when I booked this show, I was like, oh sweet, you know, if I, if I run into David, I'm going to totally drop the Philly thing. You know, it's going to be, we're going to have a moment. It's going to be great. We'll bond and we'll go out for drinks and be buddies and you know. Oh no. So, uh, I'm, I'm scared of where this is going. <laughs> I'm in the makeup trailer and, um, you know, I was the, I think I was the first actor on set. And I was getting the makeup done and I was talking to the makeup girl about some stuff. And we ended up talking about Philly and how she wants to take her family there. And we started talking about cheesesteaks. And when I was in Philly over the holiday, my uncle told me that Amoroso, which is the company that makes the rolls for cheese, Philly cheesesteaks. And everybody from Philly knows it's not a Philly cheesesteak unless it's on an Amoroso roll. That's like the number one baseline requirement. 
but I was there over the holidays and my uncle told me that Amoroso was going out of business or that they were already out of business and that, you know, people were trying to figure out what kind of roles to use instead of the Amoroso roles. So as I'm telling this story, David walks in to the, uh, to the makeup, you know, chair next to me basically. And uh, I'm telling this story and, and he overhears me and uh, he's, you know, he's a nice guy, but his energy was clearly like, this is my set, you know, you're a guest in, in my world. <laughs> so he goes, I'm like, yeah, you know, Amoroso went out of business. And he goes, what? Amoroso didn't go out of business. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, man. And I was like, sweet, here's my end to the Philly thing. So I'm like, yeah, dude, Amoroso went out of business, man. I was just there over the holidays. And he go, and then he gets real quiet for a minute. And then he pulls up his cell phone and he goes, dude, I can't find anything on the internet about Amoroso going out of business. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I, I, I just kind of heard it. My uncle told me that and, you know, whatever. You know, a like tasty cake, you know, I heard it was going out of business too and hoping that he'd pick up on the tasty cake thing because that's a Philly thing too. And he didn't. And I was like, got real kind of quiet and awkward for a minute. And I was like, okay, do I have another angle I can work? Oh, yeah, the Dairy Queen thing. So I'm like, hey, hey, David. Oh, <laughs> I'm no. Like, I'm like, you know, man, I grew up uh, in Wayne, and I used to go to that Dairy Queen that your dad owns. And he goes, he goes, what? My dad didn't own a Dairy Queen. And I go, yeah, 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 he did. The one on, uh, on North Wayne Avenue, right by the train station. He goes, he goes, no, 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 man. That was owned by Gary Papa, or one of the <laughs> action news guys. And I'm like, yeah, Gary Papa, you're, you're, uh, hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> basically, I, I, I like just barely saved myself from being like, Gary Papa's not your dad? you've never been into that Dairy Queen and it was just funny man and the whole thing got kind of shut down and then I just kind of sauntered out uh, kind of sheepishly uh, and that was the extent of my interaction with David Boreanaz oh. a little story time for everybody oh man <laughs> it was a lot kind of uh, <laughs> it was just it got real stressful real quickly I was like <sighs> I was like I just want to buddy up with this guy we got like similar roots and he just wasn't having it anyway but, you know, seems like a nice dude. Definitely not talking trash or anything. It was just uh, just one of those interactions where you're like, I think I got this. No, I don't got this. It's like, uh, I wish I'd done my research. <laughs> yeah, and not like listen to all the myths. Because, you know, things get distorted like that, especially when you're in high school. Everyone's like, you know, stretching the truth a little bit. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was a cool day, though, man. I spent the whole day there. I, I got there uh, at 10 a.m., um, makeup got some photos done and then i waited around essentially until about 8 30 where i shot a minute and a half scene once and then we be done done for the day wow so i spent a long time wandering around the lot and napping in my trailer yeah 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 so what is this you on the outline here you've got uh bi-coastal proof of concept and i have no idea what that means so tell me what's going on in your world these uh, past couple weeks basically just I just wanted to kind of recap because we did the, the, the roundtable episodes while I was actually in Los Angeles. So now that I'm back in New York, I just kind of wanted to take a moment to kind of recap uh, what that experience was like. And, and we were there for so long, Jasmine and I, for about three and a half weeks. And I was able to work a lot. I paid for the trip and then some. You know, I paid for the trip. I paid for our January rent. Uh, you know, I paid for all the fun things. We went to three Kings games while we were home. Like, I yeah, worked. Did. I worked a lot. It was it was awesome, and I put myself on tape three times at three different auditions that were actually that were actually back here in New York while I was there, and I put myself on tape for all three, and <clears throat> basically because you know 
we can put ourselves on tape as actors these days. And because of the work that I was able to do, and because you can climb inside of this metal tube and be 3,000 miles from your current location within a matter of hours, I just realized that, well, if it was a test. The three and a half weeks at home are a test. Can we make this sort of bi-coastal thing work? And we did. So it was a bi-coastal proof of concept. It, it, it actually is going to work for us moving forward. I'm coming back in February, which oh, cool. is only in like, a, you know, three, four weeks from now. Uh-huh. So, and, and it's going to be more, uh, more, more of the same. I'm, I'm teaching my digital actor workshop at USC. I'm going to be doing some other work as well. And um, my manager and I are working out right now uh, uh, and getting me some auditions while I'm there. So Dude, that's, that's awesome. It, re- it proved to me that there's no such thing as like, like I'm not stuck. There's no such thing as being static. I can make anything work really. And that has really inspired me and, and made me feel there's, there's such a sense of freedom in it and a mm-hmm. sense of um, an abundance of opportunities. Because now I'm thinking, okay, cool. Well, if I'm in New York, then quote unquote working regionally includes Los Angeles and San Francisco. <laughs> you yeah. know? And and I was talking to uh I've mentioned him on the podcast before, but the guy that we are subletting our apartment from, his name is Noah Racy. He's a very well known Broadway actor, singer, actor, dancer, triple threat. He's a choreographer. Um he was the assistant choreographer for like Thoroughly Modern Millie, which won the Tony Award for Best Choreography. So he, he, he knows his stuff. He's been in New York for 21 years. And he said to me something that some of our friends, Trevor, your and my friends said before I left, which is he said, you know, now you have that thing, that sort of mystique of being a New York actor. And I went, ah, uh, oh. Does that mean exactly? Holy shit, it's totally true. Well, basically, I, I now can say I'm in New York, so like that sort of lends this weird, earned or not, credibility to, say, my musical theater skills. So the auditions that I'm going to have when I go back to Los Angeles are, are probably going to be primarily for musicals in, in L.A. And, and San Francisco. They are sort of looking at me as a New York actor, even though I haven't even been here a year. Dude, it will be so interesting to see how people respond to you in the room based on this new information that you're a New, a New York actor. Yeah, well, it, I, I feel it already. I can sort of feel it happening. My, my manager reached out to a couple of these casting directors and they were like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, of course he's in New York. He's so talented. Like, it's just this weird mind, mind game thing that happens in, in, in this industry, you never know where it's going to come from. You know, it might come from like a breakout role. It might come because you just happen to move. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, it's it's very strange. But uh, anyway, there you have it. That's the bi-coastal proof of concept. Dude, that is really, really cool. I'm, I'm excited for you. Proud of you. Congrats, dude. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I'm excited too. And I'm excited to, to come back. And maybe we'll do another couple of episodes in person while nice. I'm back. Yeah, that's that's going to be our meme for this week. You know how we put one of those little memes in the newsletter every week, those little graphics, and yeah. it has like a saying, and then insideactingpodcast.com. This week, it's going to be no limits. I've been um, sort of getting back into uh, watching uh, videos and reading about and, and doing research on personal finance stuff. And one of the things that I that I realized is as long as you are not starving, homeless, or dead, or some combination of the three... Um, <laughs> You have you are you have enough money to do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
whatever yeah. you want because people think that they're in survival mode, but they're not. You're not in survival mode. You're not in survival mode. If you can eat and you have a roof over your head, you're not in survival mode. Yeah, it, we and we we tend we tend to focus so much on the lack on what we don't have. You know, I have all of these things in place, all my basic needs, clean drink water, a warm, safe place to sleep, a job to go to, people who care about me. And yet we focus on the 1% of stuff that we don't have and make ourselves miserable about it. Right. And it just, it cracks me up sometimes, you know, when I, I do my gratitude pages in the morning, I spend, you know, a few minutes writing out what I'm thankful for. And I realize every morning that literally, and I use these words, literally, my cup overflow is obscene, the amount of, of abundance that's already and yet I have the gall and the nerve to be like, I want a new car, you know, it's like, you know, stuff like that. So, right on, man, right on. We've got a great email from longtime listener, supporter, patron, filmmaker, uh, Mark Vashro. I don't know if you guys remember, but we've, we've spoken about him before. He put together this really cool documentary about uh, bicycling across the United States. And he sent me a, a kind of rough cut, or maybe it was a final cut, but it was really well done. I was really impressed. And, and Mark's a, you know, a very talented guy, seems like a really great guy, honest um, just a nice dude. And he wrote in and he has a great question sort of about the uh, relationship aspect of this, this journey that we're all on. He says, I have recently become involved in a very loving relationship that I'm excited about and definitely would like to continue to, pros- uh, to continue and to prosper. I'm interested in hearing about your stories, meaning us, uh, related to having a relationship and the conversations that you have had with your partners on how you can be fully dedicated to the relationship and your acting career. He says, my partner is also an actor, so she and I can relate on the fact that we have a drive and and an artistic calling that can take us away from the relationship at times, both physically and emotionally. But he'd like to know, Mark would like to know, have we found certain things that we do that help both us and our partners feel appreciated? Is that reading a book together? Is that making sure we have a date night every week, et cetera, et cetera? He does specify he's not really looking for relationship advice, but more just things to kind of consider uh, that uh, we've experienced uh, as our careers have grown uh, in the context of relationships. So, uh, AJ, you're in a long-term relationship with a beautiful, talented, amazing woman named Jasmine, and she moved out to New York with you. I think that you are most qualified to uh, (laughs) take a stab at this question first. I'm not putting you on the spot or copying out. I'm just really excited to hear what you have to to share about this. I wanted to get my my girlfriend's input as well. So we actually recorded a little segment um, for the podcast, and here's that. This sounds like it's a new-ish relationship, and so they probably don't live together. And I think maybe part of Mark's concern has to do with the fact that not living together, mm-hmm. they may take entire days mm-hmm. or weeks yeah. to dedicate themselves to their their acting career yeah. and therefore not spend as much time or be as invested in the relationship as they would other times. Mm-hmm. How do you think we've dealt with that? You know, we have talked about the possibility of one of us being away potentially for a regional job. It It definitely does pose, you know 
a threat to the status quo, it, it, it would change the dynamic of the day-to-day relationship. Um, so if they are in a relationship where they're not li- living together, um, but obviously the intention is there that he wants it to be a relatively serious, committed relationship from, mm-hmm. what, it, from what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of ways to stay in touch. I think finding out what the what your partner's love language is is probably a great starting place. And so we, you know, we've spent a lot of time learning that for ourselves and then sharing that with each other mm-hmm. um, and gotten to a place where we're pretty good at communicating love to the other person mm-hmm. in a way in which they will hear it or f- and feel it. Yeah. Um, I think that requires a certain amount of vulnerability too because it's kind of weird to just flat out ask your partner, hey, how do you like to be loved? <laughs> but it, yeah. it, it it's supportive and it works and... I know that one single text message, whenever I can sneak it in, goes an extremely long way with you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a great call out for mm-hmm. Mark and whoever else is yeah. interested in this topic. Not not being afraid to ask for what you want is a huge thing. And I, I think especially women struggle with it because, well, at least for me, I know I've I've always felt like, well... You know, I need to be strong. I don't need, I shouldn't need this. Therefore, I'm going to ignore my need for it. But the need doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I put, you know, my self-judgment on it. But once I kind of get over that and just say, you know what? This makes me feel loved. And that's kind of why I'm in a relationship, isn't it? Just because I'm asking you, hey, I'd really like it if you did this. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Right. And just because I'm saying like, oh, that doesn't work for me, like I don't communicate in that way, doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Another thing that works well for us is the foundation upon which we built the relationship, which is to say the um, emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. self-development and introspection that we had prior to entering into the relationship mm-hmm. um, has been huge. huge. It's a whole, it's not just new tools in your belt, it's a whole other tool belt. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in terms yeah. of communication, not just with the other person, but internal communication. My communication with myself and figuring out how I'm feeling and why and what's underneath it. Yeah. Thereby making my communication with you clearer. Right. That's really kick ass. And uh, I love you guys and I love your relationship and I love the strength that you embody for each other like i that's palpable every time i i see either one of you but especially you guys together it's just you can feel it in the air the one thing i would add here is that i read once in a sports illustrated article about athletes and marriage and divorce and things like that somebody said something along the lines of you know athletes almost always tend to date or be in long-term relationships with other athletes or people who are otherwise committed to some sort of you know, hugely um, demanding kind of endeavor. Uh, and that applies for actors as well uh, because athletes and other actors and stuff like that, they understand the animal. They, other, they understand that you're, when you're in a relationship with somebody who's, you know, committed to an, an artistic kind of pursuit or committed to an athletic competition or, or whatever it is, but when, when they're committed to something that significant, it's like being in a relationship with a third person. It's like you're competing with that, oh, with that wow. time. And, and somebody yeah. who's, somebody who's not uh, on that wavelength, 
that would probably cause friction. They, they, I guess they wouldn't understand necessarily. And I've been in relationships like that where, where the, the other person just doesn't quite understand why you can't hang out and have dinner tonight or why you can't do this or why you've spent five nights this week doing such and such or, you know, why isn't there more time for me is something you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it, it seems to be that, that it works really well when you've got another person who just understands what that beast is, that understands that, that thing that's also in the relationship with you. And if they understand it and they have their own, then it, it, I think it, the chances for a harmonious kind of long-term relationship are really, are really great. If they don't, um, just kind of, uh, piggybacking on what Mark said, I would say that, yeah, I mean, just scheduling a date night in advance, just saying like Monday nights or our date nights or, you know, and, um, you know, reading the book together and making sure that this person is included in everything. If you're going out of town for a wedding or whatever it is, making sure that they are uh, informed, invited, included, because it's very easy, I think, for them to make up a story that you are not committed to the relationship if you are spending so much time on 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 a you know a artistic pursuit. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, date night. I mean, all that stuff. I mean, that's that's what I would say. It sounds like Mark, uh, you know what's up. So and you're on, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're you're on the right the right path. We should probably roll into our interview, or actually Trevor's interview, with uh, filmmakers David Hamilton and Brina Kelly. Hey guys, this is Trev, and I'm super stoked to be sitting here across from producing partners, writing partners, filmmakers, David Hamilton and Brina Kelly. Hey guys, thanks for being here. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. Uh, I know David and Brina because I had the good fortune to work on their short film, The Midnight Monster, which they later got financing to make into a feature film called The Midnight Man. And they were kind enough to bring me back for a small role on that. And it was really, really cool to see the whole kind of genesis of the project from the pre-production stuff you had posted on Kickstarter all the way up through the shoot itself. And then what I kind of want to know more about and what we'll get to at some point is just the financing part. Because there was sort of a, a gap in, in my involvement re- between the short film being finished and then all of a sudden, six months later, it was like, hey, we got a bunch of money. We're going to make a feature film. Check it out. So we'd love to hear about that. But before we get to all that stuff, um, we like to start at the beginning, just kind of hear how you guys kind of got tied up in this crazy industry. So... Brina, let's start with you because I know you're you're you were like a child star, right? No, I was not. Weren't you? Like didn't the, you, you but you had an illustrious acting career elsewhere was, when you were younger. I was a child actor. Okay, I would say that different different story. Which really is just, <laughs> I mean, when you're a child actor, honestly, I had a really good editor. I must have because I happen to think that um, I was probably not very good. I started overseas in Asia. I um was uh, I started acting when I was 11, uh, playing, you know, eight, nine-year-olds, playing a little bit younger than myself on television. And really, I fell into it. Um, I had a family friend who was casting director for a studio and saw me one day just hamming it up, being myself. I think I was in, like, the grocery store or something, and I was, like, pretending to, I don't know, some, some one of those things that kids do. I was pretending to, like, narrate different things about products like I was a spokesmodel or something and she saw me and she was like you know this kid might I might be able to do something with that wait and so you were discovered 
You were in a grocery store <laughs> playing I around, suppose. and some some person with connections happened to see you and thought you had you had promise. They saw dollar I signs. I suppose, for the most part, they just thought I guess I had a certain look she was looking for. Okay. Um, she needed a kid with big eyes. That was really it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that that's how it happened for me. I fell into it. Um, I had been a dancer already, so I was used to performing mostly on stage at the time. Um, I was able to transition into, you know, being in front of a camera. I kind of learned it just through being on set and, and working and having people yell at me for, you know, tripping over stuff or stepping in other people's shots and, and stuff like that. But that's that's how it started for me. Um, this is all in Asia? This is all in China, actually. In China, okay. Um, and I did some stuff in China and Hong Kong and, you know, just... It wasn't really much of a career, I, but just a thing, another like extracurricular activity that I did actually at the time. That's how I, um, I kind of uh, felt about it. I didn't really develop a real love for it until I was older and I decided to pursue it as a career. And I went to UCLA's film school. Um, right. That's really when you know I got really serious about it. So wh- wh- when did you move to the states? I moved to the states when I was seventeen. Uh, with your I, family or by yourself? No, just by myself. Um, oh. Well, I mean, I had grown up, um, my family was summer in the United States, so I had been spending time in the United States since I was eight. So by the time I moved here, I already had somewhat of a knowledge of, you know, this culture and English. You know, I, I knew some of the language already, so it wasn't a huge transition for me. I did high school and then college, um, UCLA, and um, and I've been here ever since. Wow. So when you moved here at 17 years old, did you have connections? Did you have a place to stay or did we just kind of wing it? Yes, I did. Um, my mother was working here at the time. She's a, She was a professor at the University of Washington. So I um, went and I I did not grow up with my parents. I went to boarding school. You know, I was one of one of those kids. We had one of those families. Um, so I was able to um, <clears throat> spend some time with my mom and uh, up in Seattle. And then I came down here to Los Angeles to go to school and um, have been here ever since. And that was years ago. Um, (laughs) Let's not mention how many years ago that was. So what's the journey been like for you since then? You went to UCLA um, and you got uh, a bachelor's in theater? or Uh, Yes. Well, actually, it's the School of Theater, Film, and Television. Technically, I believe, is what it's called. I'm sure they want me to get that right. And uh, yeah, I have a, a BA in, in, as it turns out, it's theater because while I took some classes on, in film, my degree is in acting and, and UCLA acting, I think, and everywhere falls under theater, the category. So it's actually kind of misleading because I've mostly done film and that's where my interests lie. And generally I say I went to film school because the School of Theater, Film and Television basically boils down to UCLA's film school. But my degree specifically, uh, the area is in theater. Right, your concentration. Yeah, we had yeah. the same thing at my school. It was always kind of like, yeah, I have a bachelor in theater with a concentration in yeah. X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right on. And David, uh, let's just get a quick kind of background on you because you were born in Indiana. Indiana. So you're, you're a Midwest guy. Midwest. And what brought you out here and got you into all this? Uh, really, it was just I was one of those kids that uh, got really taken with movies when I was a little kid and realized that I had way more fun watching them than studying for the things I should have been studying for and paying attention in school. I was, you know, it was, uh, it was just one of those. And, um, somewhere around the age of 12 or 13, I realized that, uh, 
I really wanted to be, as much as I understood what a director was, it was around that age where I realized that's what I really wanted to do. And, uh, and then I just kind of had blinders on after that. It was the only thing I could think about or talk about. And I'm sure that uh, many of my high school and, and college friends probably heard enough of it, you know, at a point. So, um, yeah, I just kind of sailed, sailed through uh, high school and college, focusing as much on uh, learning that and figuring out how to do it and uh, figuring out what steps I needed to take to have a shot at it. And, uh, yeah, just moved out here after college and um, been, you know, giving it a go ever since. So Right on. To... And didn't you do some work on Friday Night Lights? I did do a little bit of work on Friday Night Lights, but not in the not in the directing capacity. That was more of a, uh, I was just doing office work for them because I needed a job at the time okay. and had bills to pay. And uh, But, yeah, Friday Night Lights was, uh, I spent a year living in Austin and working on that show and, and you know, anyone who anyone who's in a creative you know who's in the creative field there's certain there's certain shows that you really have to just appreciate for what they offer and uh i always loved friday night lights creatively i thought it was it's such amazing a, such it's a good show yeah really well written yeah. really well uh performed and uh really well captured i mean just uh, there was nothing quite like it that i'd ever seen on tv so yeah yeah so where did you go to school where did, college i went to a small university that uh unless you regularly watch David Letterman or The Simpsons you've never heard of, and it's called Ball State University. They mock it ruthlessly on The Simpsons. I believe Superintendent Chalmers. That's right. Superintendent <laughs> Chalmers. Went to Ball State. Uh, he went to, uh, he went to, uh, he went to Ball State, and uh, so they mock it on The Simpsons occasionally, and then David Letterman also went to Ball State. He's our most famous alum. Wow. So, does he ever come back? Did he ever come back he, and he talk? He actually, or? he does. He, he's, he's great with the university. He gives them uh, a lot of scholarship money and uh, has, they have a, occasionally we'll name drop them on his, you know, on his show or whatever. But uh, uh, he's been, he's been great to the university. He's come back a couple of times for big events and, you know, he's, uh, he, he takes good care of them. He's, he has, he has a scholarship there where you have to have a C average to, to qualify for the scholarship. If you're too smart, if you if you, you don't get, qualify, you don't qualify. if your grades are too high, you don't qualify. Oh my God. It's, at least that's the way I understood it. You know, fifteen years ago. That is so, so funny, man. Yeah, the Letterman scholarship. So. Did you get that scholarship? I did not get that scholarship. Oh, no, you no. didn't qualify. I, I I'd rather not go into that just now. <laughs> How did you connect in the film world such that you thought, hey, this would be a great person to start working with? Well, we met um, just personally uh, through friends and did that thing where when you meet someone who's in your your own field you kind of you know you, you you kind of form a bit of a camaraderie in that sense where you're just like oh you also do this crazy thing that I do that's great we should talk and and I, I think that's kind of in a way that a lot of especially writing partnerships I think start in this uh industry is just you meet someone you have the same voice you realize that you have the same um interests and you have the same taste and if you happen to be a writer and they happen to be a writer then you kind of um you come together and you try your hand at a project together if you happen to get along um at the time i think we were both looking for a partner i had recently uh parted ways with uh, another writing partner of mine i had uh for a few years done an a online animated sketch comedy show <clears throat> and I had uh, been doing that with my writing partner at the time, and eventually we just took that show to pretty much its logical conclusion, basically as far as it was going to go. 
and we both decided um i think this is kind of um we should maybe pursue other things he was a he was an actor and that was very much his top priority and he was a stand-up comedian and he really wanted to do that he was involved with the groundlings at the time and i you know it was that wasn't necessarily for me i had wanted to try my hand at features whereas he loved the sketch comedy and the stand-up form and that's really where he wanted to go so we decided well you know what this kind of it's time to part ways because i really want to I was I was tired of being on the outside looking in because the show that I was doing was all about films, um, basically kind of talking about it, making fun of it a little bit, and you know, and um, but it did feel like I'm talking about something that I want to be involved in. I would like to be the people I made fun of, basically, <laughs> in the end. Right. So we parted ways, and uh, right after I got off that show was when I met David, and I was actively looking for another uh, writing partner and I think David might, may have been as well. He had written a feature called My Name is Jerry um, which was produced a few years ago and uh, he was looking to write his next one and it just the timing just worked out well and uh, and we started you know brainstorming together and th- seeing if um, there were you know ideas that we wanted to pursue and um came up with one that we both felt strongly about and that's what eventually became the midnight man david i didn't know you had a feature that had been produced prior to this that's really cool yeah uh it was um it was a a script that a a good friend of mine had written a guy that i knew from college uh he'd written many many years ago and uh he was he was getting it produced but they were having trouble getting the script to where they wanted it to be so he called me up and he said would you take a look at this thing and give me your notes and I gave him feedback, and then I somehow it kind of slowly evolved into I, I did a quiet rewrite, and then uh, they did the producers liked what I was doing, so then it became a major rewrite, and I kind of came on board full time and and rewrote the whole screenplay. And uh, uh, now, now you're the sole writer. Now on I'm that, the yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, wow. I didn't come up with the story. I'm always very that was uh, my friend Morgan and his his co-writer at the time Andy, and uh, they uh, yeah they came up with this this really sweet little story about a. a, a well, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a okay. sweet. It's a sweet little story about a, a middle-aged salesman who's having like this midlife crisis. And anyway, but um, yeah, it's a sweet so. little film. It's, it is uh, starring it's a, Doug Jones. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and Doug uh, worked in the Midnight or yes. Midnight Man with you guys. Was, yeah. Yes. Which is how I knew Doug. Doug cool. is a, a Ball State alum as well. So he is. really, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So you know. I guess I have to be careful when I say that Letterman is Ball State's most famous alum because exactly. it might be Doug. Doug's, it might be Doug Doug's more, maybe more internationally visible. Yeah, he's got a huge his following, roles. and I feel like he's a really indie friendly actor too. I know a few other people who've yes. been like, "Oh my God, we got Doug Jones on our film," and yeah. Yeah. he, he from so. all accounts that I can tell, he looks like he's really happy to be there. So he's very, much he's so. very he's... committed to the work that he does, and he's but he's he's very sweet, he's very generous, and uh, he's a fantastic, he's absolutely uh, wonderful, he's a fantastic yeah. presence. Dad on stage, fantastic actor. And uh, he won- he actually he won several awards for his performances as Jeremy. It was a small film and it never got a big release. It was only it had a minor a small festival run and then it hit DVD. But uh, Doug did win several awards for his performance as Jerry. He's a very talented actor and most people don't know it because they've only seen they don't even know what he looks like. Yeah, they've only Pam's seen these yeah they've yeah. only seen these monsters and these creatures that he plays so well. Yeah. So yeah. to see him as a human, he's he's. A very talented actor. So you guys connected, and uh, obviously filmmaking. Like what fascinates me about filmmaking and writing and all that is that they're such by necessity they're such collaborative processes. 
And yet we all have our own kind of unique ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how you guys work together. Uh, <laughs> if there are any sort of rituals that you have about trading ideas or passing notes back and forth or emailing stuff or, or if there's like a sort of like a, I work in my silo until this point and then I let you in. Like, what, what is that like? Um, I think in, in that sense, David and I, because I, because I am an actor, I was going to say I used to be an actor. I suppose I am. I yeah. Am and I want to talk about that after. The, I, I, I am still yeah. an actor. Uh, that's really something that doesn't go away because of that. We have slightly different ways of working. That was something that we had to learn how to work together. David is very much a, um, a solo writer. He puts on his headphones and he, he sits at his computer. Whereas I can't really do that. I've always written with a uh, with a partner, and I used to do. You know, I used to be in sketch comedy, which is just you riff and you talk, and until you you know you get all your ideas out, until you condense that into you know something that is hopefully passable. You know, you basically you you just continuously put things out there until you get that top 10%, kind of like the cream, and then that, that becomes the piece that you, you put out. So I'm still, a, I'm, I'm still a little bit more um, like that, whereas David, you know, he writes by himself. So the two of us kind of have, have worked out this system where sometimes we would do it his way and he would write and then I would come in and I would write or sometimes I would rewrite and sometimes we would just uh, we would um, riff and talk about it the way I do it. It really depends on what we're writing. When we're writing dialogue, I prefer my way. I think it's more conducive. Um, and when we're just breaking the story open, then his way is probably better because then you can keep track of, like, you can streamline everything and make sure that things don't get off the rails or too messy or too long, you know. So it really is... Um, it's a learning process. We're still, mm -hmm. we're still, we're still figuring it out. Yeah, no, <laughs> I it's, guess and that's it's different with every single project. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Yeah, I was I was reading an interview with Trent Reznor recently, and he talked about how like you know he's scored three or four films with David, David Fincher now, and of course right. Trent Reznor's known for Nine Inch Nails, and, right? And then he sits down to score a film, and he says every single time he sits down with David, it's a different process. It's a different. Yeah different idea and he always feels like he's starting over completely like he has no idea where what to do interesting and i i feel like that is common it's a common yeah. thing where it's like okay we we did one but what worked for that last project may not work for this one yeah. so exactly. let's just kind of yeah. you really dive can't, into the you abyss you really can't have like a formula yeah. you know with stuff like this you really just it's really just what speaks to you on the day and and that particular working session, you know, and uh, and you hope that something comes out of that that will be lasting, that you know will stay. And most of the time, it doesn't. But you know, it is that process that ultimately creates something that um, that we hope will work. I heard I heard some I heard someone somewhere recently. I forget who it was. They said they referred to it as a, a creative project as a moving target. And you never ah. finish quite where you're gonna. Hmm. Yes, you never that. end up. You never end up quite where you're starting. And that, that I think that's true. It is. It's, it's I think infuriating it's, to well, me because I'm I'm more of a control freak than you. You are, want the so. which is which is funny, but the uh, it's it's true. And I think even from the from the inception phase where you start to write the thing down, it's it's a moving target. Then it's like what what uh, Trent Reznor was saying, where you know it's it can't you can't depend on the same thing happening time and time again. It's going to be different every time.
there aren't a lot of people out there who can say that they went out and, you know, what do they get? Like some $600,000 of international yeah, funding or, or investments in, in their, to make their project. Like how many people can say that they've, they've done that? Yeah. Yeah. It was in that ballpark. And, and I think, I mean, I, I've seen a cut of the trailer, like an early sort of uncolor corrected cut of the trailer and it just looks fantastic. And if, you know, $500,000, $600,000, that's like considered extremely low budget in the feature film world. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we've had on the show, there are people making features for like $6,000, like Joshua Caldwell. But for the, the, this kind of production, I'm really, really impressed with what they were able to do. And, and in the later interviews coming up over the next week or two, they, they share a lot about some of the challenges uh, working on set uh, that they ran into and how they overcame those. And, and really, you know, just talk about the process, which is extremely messy a lot of the time. Hmm. And yet this final product is such a kind of clean, polished thing. So it's, it's interesting. You know, when, you, when you make art, it's messy. You get your hands dirty and things never go as planned. But, you know, you stick it through. You stick to the vision. And that's why I'm so, one of the reasons, the many reasons I'm so impressed with them. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. So what's your, what's your uh, pick of the week this week? Uh, my pick of the week is the Review and Renew document that we released uh, that, that uh, Jasmine sort of put together for us. In addition to Ben Whitehair's annual review document, which we have talked about and released on the podcast before, both of those are linked to on our website. But um, the reason that I'm picking them is because, I mean, first of all, that is uh, what I spent a lot of time on. Uh, between now and the last time we recorded. And two, it really, really has uh, set me and Jasmine up to win for this coming year, not only in terms of like uh, creating goals and and, and that kind of thing, which is what we're doing using um, Ben's document now, but also because you don't always stop to think and celebrate what you accomplished in a a previous year. We just hung out with patron... Matt Bailey last night actually, and he uh, he did the document, which made us so happy. And <clears throat> you know, even he said, you know, there was one there was one goal that I didn't accomplish last year, and I ended up writing off the whole year as a failure because I didn't co- accomplish that one goal. And then I started doing this document and realized all I had accomplished, and and something huge and magical and awesome happened in every single month of my year last year and I'm being a big complainy pants. You know? I love it. So, yeah. uh, I think, it, I think we do find it easy to beat ourselves up as actors and artists. And this will be a, a really great way for you to celebrate what worked, uh, take a look at what didn't work, uh, retool, readjust and hit the ground running in 2015. Yes. Awesome, man. Yeah. Jasmine did such a good job uh, um, with that, uh, with that document, the review and renew document, it's, it's beautiful and brilliant. And again, huge. Thank you, Jasmine, for putting that together and sharing it with our community. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and that's why I'm making it my pick. I just want people to take advantage of it. That's all. So what's your pick, my friend? Uh, my pick of the week is a book, uh, called the top 10 things dead people want to tell you, you being all capital letters. It's by a guy named Mike Dooley. He runs the website, uh, tut.com and you know he writes these little notes from the universe that you can subscribe to get by email and they're really great the book affirmed so many sort of gut level instincts i had about the way the universe and people and god and infinite intelligence and souls work i've had Mm. these kind of these notions about it since i was a kid and you know like 
those slowly get paved over by, you know, cultural conditioning, religious practices, things like that. You know, you start to kind of get confused. And But when the book, when I read this book, I just I kind of got back to like a four-year-old version of myself where I was like, yeah, you know, I've always kind of suspected that was what it was really happening. <laughs> and, and then this book, and, you know, he, you know I, I don't know if Mike's like an authority on this kind of stuff or not or I'm not sure where he – I mean he's got a, a huge reading list at the end of the book that he, you know, he, can, he invites people to dive into. Um, but you know, what, what qualifies anybody to, to be a spiritual guru and, and to know, you know, what lies beyond, I don't know, but all I can say is that this book really, I really vibed with it and I would recommend it to anybody who's at least, you know, uh, a tiny bit interested in the beyond, you know, and beyond meaning like what's beyond this sort of physical plane that we all inhabit. See, now I'm starting to sound crazy. I know I'm probably alienating some people, but, <laughs> but you know, what, what's beyond this, this existence right now, whether you believe we just go back to the earth and dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and our, we just stop existing or whether you believe in heaven and pearly gates and all that, whatever it is, uh, this book will be interesting to you at the very least. So I highly recommend it. Link on our website, The Top 10 Things Dead People Want to Tell You by Mike Dooley. You're not alienating anyone, alienating anyone because these are questions that humanity has been asking itself for years. So it's not like, you know, out of nowhere. People. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. You know, it's, it's always, I, I always kind of wonder because, you know, the, as, as artistic people, we tend to be pretty sensitive and we tend to be sort of impressionable and we tend to kind of have a sort of oh, heightened awareness of this kind of thing. But I never want to step on anybody's toes or bring the religion, you know, conversation into this because, you know, people get that's very personal for people. And I don't want to tell anybody what's right or wrong or what to think. Um, you're not, this, it's your pick yeah, of the week. <laughs> that's right. It's my pick of the week. So check it out. And if you hate it, blame Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we also got a listener pick of the week this week. A, a longtime listener and patron, Jenny Green, uh, actually called in with a voicemail. Uh, and her, her pick of the week is The Frame, which is a new podcast on KPCC in L.A., which is basically just an affiliate of NPR. So yeah. I'm sure you can find it elsewhere. If not... Um, it's on their website and it's also on iTunes. They release it as a podcast. Um, it's 30 minutes every day um, and you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, that kind of thing. But basically she said they, they just uh, they interview someone every episode and uh, bring, a, bring an interesting perspective. It's all industry focused. So another industry focused podcast. There's a, a lot of them out there, but uh, this is her new, her new fave. So um, she wants you to check it out. That's All right. that. <laughs> the frame. That's awesome. Every day. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, that's a lot, especially if they're interviewing people. That's that's amazing. Yeah. We, we have a hard enough time doing one a week and then we split up the interviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, cool, man. So that is uh, AJ's, uh, that's AJ's pick is the review and renew document that we posted along with the Ra Actors Roundtable episodes. We've got the top 10 things dead people want to tell you by Mike Dooley. And we've got the podcast The Frame uh, from listener and patron Jenny Green. So links to all of that is on our website as well as in our newsletter, which everybody is subscribed to, right? Not even by a long shot, but you <laughs> should subscribe. You should subscribe. Awesome. And it's awesome. awesome. Yes. <laughs> and right. um, we it's been a while since we recorded, and I think with a combination of that, the holidays, the new year, people feeling a, a bit generous, we have a ton of... Of thank yous to get through, including several new patrons. Um, uh, Trevor mentioned our uh, other new patron, um, 
whose name is escaping me right now, which is embarrassing, uh, in episode 172. Um, what is his name? Brent Davis, that's right. right. Um, and we have uh, a, a couple more to mention, but we're just going to uh, list off all the thank yous. These are people who sent in donations or also became new new patrons. Um, and that's a longtime uh, friend of the podcast, Mark Gant. Uh, Donald Mordecai sent in a tremendously generous donation. Thank you, Donald, for that. David Kenyon, Nadia Mori, and Christina Halstead, who is also a longtime listener and has a podcast of her own yeah. inspired by uh, Inside Acting. So um, yeah. you can check out all these people on our website or their various uh, social media profiles. Uh, they're not all patrons. So they don't all have patron profiles, but um, all uh, longtime listeners of the podcast for sure. Um, which leads us into our patron of the week. Yeah, Nadia Mori is our, our newest patron of the week, and we'll make sure we talk about Christina uh, and the other patrons um, <clears throat> as well very soon in upcoming episodes. But Nadia is pretty fascinating. She's an actor and an agrologist. Uh, am I embarrassing myself to say I'm not sure what an agrologist You're is? Not does that a, have to do with agriculture? It does. You're not embarrassing yourself. First of all, you hit it right on the head. It does have to do with agriculture. And the reason that we don't know the term very well, I looked it up last night, is because it's mostly used in Canada. And she's from, uh, she grew up in right. Switzerland, but she's studying in Saskatchewan or something. Anyway, Trevor yeah. will continue her bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she says, yeah, actor and agrologist. Yes, that combination does exist. Uh, yep, she grew up in Switzerland. She moved to Canada uh, over a decade ago. And after completing a Master of Science and working in the fields of agrology, she finally acknowledged the lifelong desire to be an actor. She's currently working to finish her acting degree at the University of Saskatchewan, Canada. Perfect. And she's on Twitter at uh, Mori2U. That's M-O-R-I, the number two and the letter U. And we'll have uh, all that information on our website in the show notes for this episode. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. I guess that does it. Yeah, that does it. Let's wrap this bad boy episode. up. We uh, we had an abundance of content, so we'll 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 table it. We'll put it into our our future episodes. Thank you all for being in touch with the podcast. Happy New Year! Inside Acting is produced and co-hosted by me, AJ Meyer, and of course Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Gamino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubrick is our marketing and web director, and Deborah Smith is our community manager. You can sign up for our free weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or pretty much wherever you download podcasts. That's right. And, excuse me, this episode uh, of Inside Acting was made possible also in part by Rehearsal 2. It's the app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, there is an app for that. It's awesome. It's called Rehearsal 2, and you can download it right now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Everybody go get it. I use it. AJ uses it. Many actors we know use it. It is a brilliant piece of software. Indispensable. Rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. And of course, this episode, as well as the entire podcast, would not be possible were it not for listeners like yourself. So if you love inside acting and you want to keep the show going, sign up as a monthly patron, like Nadia did, and get cool per- per- cool perks. Easy for you to say. Easy for you to say. Like access to an exclusive online patron-only masterminds group, um, which we are That's just, coming very soon. This we are season. just going to yeah. seriously build that baby from scratch. We're going to make it our own. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be rad. So we know we have a lot of people 
asking about that and wanting to kind of start their own. Yeah, and it's not going to be it's not going to be on Facebook, so that you don't have the the distraction of Facebook uh, around the Mastermind group. So, um, just wanted to kind of put that out there. Yeah, a yeah. shout out on the show, show's website, and newsletter, freebies and discounts on merchandise and other upcoming podcast offerings, and much much more. Just visit InsideActingPodcast.com and click on the Patron tab to find out more. Yep. Next week on the show, we've got part two of my chat with David and Brina. Uh, it's really good stuff. I think it may surprise some people. So uh, make sure you guys tune in for that. And that does it then for episode 176 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll Go see you next week. And in the meantime, schedule a date night. <laughs> <laughs>